My name is Tyler, and I'm an alcoholic. I have the pleasure of giving you the joke tonight. Um, okay, so here we go. After a third step discussion, a newcomer asks an old timer, how can you be sober so long and say you don't understand God? The long timer replied, young man, I've been married for, to the same woman for 50 years. Do you think I understand her? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment. Get situated. Please turn off all those devices that make noise or might disturb someone else. Take time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right, let's begin that meditation.
if you would all join me tonight with the fog light prayer. It's right up there. God, let your love shine out through me like a fog light. So that those who are sick, lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out of which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who still suffer from alcoholism. And I have asked Kathy to read the spiritual experience from the appendix two. Is Kathy here? Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an, by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and an open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. This is from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567 and 568. Thanks. Thank you, Kathy. 
That's please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting down. This is a tech-free meeting, so your phone should be on airplane mode or, if better yet, even turn them off. And tonight, we have our speaker. This is her third time here. I've enjoyed every one of them. And would you kindly give Corinna D. a welcome hand? Hi, family. My name is Corinna. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'd like to start off by saying that God is good all the time, even when I don't think so. Um, Thank you all so much for the encouragement. Um, I'm acutely aware of my smallness, and um, I appreciate you allowing me to serve you. It means a lot to me. And um, I was eager to be here and um, share the gifts of the program and peel back some of the treasures that are hidden beneath the steps. Uh, Mike Chase, thank you so much for keeping the doors open and this wonderful group. I know that there's a lot of work involved to uh, set this meeting up, and I really love this meeting and have always since I first arrived in Florida. So I do appreciate you and the group. Thank you so much. Um, So I'm here to speak on uh, steps 10 through 12, um, 9 through 12, And that's a lot to unpack in a short amount of time. And um, I'm going to try not to camp out in any one particular step for too long. Um, Do my best. Um, I've been asking God to um, just release his power on me. And um, I'm grateful also for the collective consciousness that we have in this group here. Um, I'm going to start off with the ninth step. Um, speaking on the ninth step, this spiritual restitution that um, we, we have to embark on or we get to embark on. And on um, the previous steps, you know, just line me up for this piece. And um, most people have a lot of misgivings behind it and a lot of fear attached to it. Um, I know for myself, um, it was because I was thinking about the outcome. And I was repeatedly told by my sponsor that we're res- Responsible for the effort, not the outcome. And so there obviously is a lot of prayer um, before we make the the step. And um, got to give me a minute because there's a lot going on in my head right now. (laughs) I'll calm down in a second. (laughs) There's so so many things I want to touch on that my my brain is going faster than my mouth. So, um, okay. So before I begin the step, I want to share with you a beautiful Japanese art form, and it's called Kintsugi, which I'm about to embark on, hopefully in November. But what it is, is uh, they break a perfectly beautiful vase. They shatter it. And the art form is they pick up each piece meticulously and put it back together with glue. And then they take these very tiny, tiny brushes, and they have gold leaf and uh, silver leaf, and they put... Uh, where, where the cracks are, they put the gold leaf on and they put it back together. And uh, what the beauty of the vase is, is its brokenness. Uh, that's, you know, that's what makes the vase so beautiful and that's what gives it character. And um, it's really a lovely practice. There's a whole doctrine behind it. Um, and I thought that that was apropos for this step. 
Because, you know, when I was delivered into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was shattered in every area of my life. And um, through the grace of God put back together. And through you, all of you, right? So um, I really like that. And, And I also like the fact that the creator is also just particularly in every single detail, putting everything, taking so much time to put, the, put it back. And, and it has, it's, um, it's not only restored, but it has, uh, it's a new creature, right? It's a new creature. And I'm a new creature. Once I've made my third step decision and I've invited God into my heart, that means that I have a brand new heart. The third step tells me that I'm reborn, right? And um, being reborn means that I'm going to have a birthmark on me. And my birthmark is love. And in my Bible, it tells me that they'll know us by our love. And it really goes perfectly with the code of AA. A code is a standard by one which lives. And love and tolerance is our code. So I, I just love the fact that I belong to a family of God, a body of God, and I also belong to a body in AA, in the unity of AA, and they complement each other very, very well. Uh, there's no friction among. There's, there's nothing that disturbs my other doctrine, right? So I'm, I'm, it very much lines up with where I want to be. And so um, this spiritual restitution that I'm about to embark on, you know, it, I love... Uh, at the end of the directions on how to do this, which I'm, I'm going to go through, I'm going to give you some bullet points about how the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous gives us these guidelines on how to make the approach, right? And I love that because it's, as I said, it can be very scary. So there are some guidelines. I'm kind of going to just run them off real quick because I want to get into some experience um, so they, you know, there is a spirit behind the step and the spirit behind the step is to be helpful and forgiving. That's the spirit behind step nine. And, um, it says, don't delay. Um, it says the ninth step prayer is, uh, well, the ninth step prayer is on page 79. And basically I'm asking for strength to do what's necessary, no matter what the personal consequences are. A lot of people skip over that ninth step prayer. Um, It says, um, tell them that we'll never get over drinking until we straighten out our past. So when I make my approach and I'm with this person, uh, my sponsor had me do cue cards. I had the person's name on the top left-hand corner, perhaps an address. Um, And then there was a a blanket amends. Uh, There was some verbiage there. It's a cue card just for me so that I don't get stuck on my words. And then on on the back end of it, is, you know, what mistakes did I make with this person? Where was I inconsiderate? Was I selfish? Did I cheat? Did I lie? And I would make all those bullet points on the back of the card, right? So um, on the front of this card, I, you know, I'm going to tell this person when I get there, um, as I'm making the amends, that I really need to make this amends in order for me to get and stay sober, right? But it's transcended by not, not only that I have to, but I really want to. The eight step prepared my heart in such a way, I I spoke about it last week, having the foreskin of my heart, you know, the circumcision circumcision of the heart, you know, just really getting opened up and um, prepared for this step. Uh, And so God did a really wonderful job with that in the eight steps. I was willing to do all of these. Um, It says, um, if I have an enemy, I confess my ill feelings and I regret and, and my regrets 
And um, I emphasize the spirituality. I don't emphasize the spirituality part. Um, if they ask, I can use common sense and tact. If they want to know about, you know, the God that I serve, by all means, I can do that. But I'm not going to go in leading with the chin like, you know, this is all about how spiritual I got. They don't really care. It's not about that, right? It's about, you know, trying to have them uh, be able to have uh, some kind of a healing in a sense, right? And so it says, don't tell the other person what to do. Only your faults are to be discussed. Don't criticize or argue. Be calm and frank. Make a demonstration of goodwill. So if I stole, which I did, by the way, I had $100,000 worth of damage that I had to pay back. And I'm here to tell you that not only did I pay the $100,000 back, but I've already paid 100000 more. I've already given out 100000 more. And the reason that I say that, not to brag, is to show God off, and I pray that he is the centerpiece of my talk, right, is that my father is a king, and everything here on this earth belongs to him including the money that I have, right? And that he allows me to have. And if I'm a good steward of that, my storehouse will continuously be full, right? There is a currency in AA, right? And it's prayer and action. And by me giving back the money that I stole and giving, you know, um, in, in the Bible, I have to say, because that's the, what I read, <laughs> so that where, where I find the truth, that when you can be trusted with the little, God will give you the much and you will, your storehouse will always be full. And that's been my experience. So when you go to make this financial amends at that time, when I was first going to make my financial amends, I did not have money, but I did agree to give $5, uh, $5, uh, no, sorry, $20 a month. I had uh, an outstanding student loan and, um, they, I was in arrears. So it went from 5,000, they cut it down to the original 2000 and I paid that off. And um, I had much because, as I said, I was a big thief. And systematically, one by one, with God's help, I was able to get that. Um, I'm in right standing uh, as of today. Um, and so if you, if you do have financial amends, you need to make a demonstration, even if it's a dollar. So if, I, if it was 100000 and I only had a dollar, and I mean this literally, now you become a person who doesn't dodge your creditors. Now you're a person with integrity, right? And I think we could all get a dollar. So it's a sign of good faith, right? I had a lot of envelopes in my drawer for each, uh, each amends, financial amends that I was going to make. Um, it says, make a demonstration of goodwill, okay? Make the best deal possible. Don't dodge creditors, which is what I did. I told them that I was a drunk for a while. They had been looking for me for quite some time. And um, she took off the 3000 and I only had to pay the original 2000 So you can make the best deal possible. Be sensible, tactful, and considerate. And I, um, I was, uh, at some of these amends, I was, my sponsor had me ask three questions for the um, physical face-to-face -face amends with the people that I had history with. And I'm going to read you uh, my son, the, the amends that I made to my son. Now, I had made many organic amends over the years with my son, um, before I was in this process, it just came out because I, I was now aware and awake <laughs> to anybody else other than myself. And, um, you know, it'd be sometimes when he was watching TV or, you know, then three or four years would go by and more would come on me. And then I'd, at yeah, dinner time, I'd, you know, make an amends to him. And um, 
you know, I'm 20 years sober, but I'm practicing, this is uh, 16 years I'm practicing. So back then when I uh, was going to make uh, another approach, yet another approach, um, I had invited my son to go to Niagara Falls with me, just he and I. And um, I gave him the car keys. And as we drove, um, it, we were just having a conversation. And it was always like an awkwardness between me. I always felt like there was something. My son is very reserved. And I would have this nervous energy because I never felt like I made the proper amends. And, you know, you can't really tell, like, what he's thinking and, you know, all of that. So, anyway, I started to make an amends while we were driving in the car. And he just looked at me and said, Mom, not that again. Like, you know, like, I'm past it. And I, I honored that. I didn't say that. So, a month later, Paul, my husband Paul and I, we were invited to speak in Cambridge. And we were on the panel. And the very last speaker, Mike L., shared on the ninth step. And he read a, a letter that he had written to his, um, his stepdaughters. They were twins. And um, I wasn't thinking about amends. I wasn't, you know, none of that. But when he finished, it was like something went straight into my heart. Like God had broken my heart wide open. I knew that I had to go home and write a letter to my son, which I did. And it was uh, Thanksgiving when, we, when I got home. And I, it, the, I became the ink. There was, there was no thought really in me. It was just everything just flowed out. And I put it in an envelope. I gave it to my son after, festiv after fe the festivities in my home. And, um, and this is the letter that I had written to my son. His name is Lucas. He's now 45. Lucas... I'm penning this letter rather than facing you because I know that some of the contents of this letter will make you uncomfortable. I don't want to cause you any more harm than I have already caused you. Lucas, I want to tell you that I love you more than anything in this world. Unfortunately, from when, when you were born and all our time living at Steve's house, I was a very sick, distorted young girl slash woman. My life was evidence of that. There are many harms that I have caused you that I am unaware of, so I will say, please forgive me. I know and regret that I mistreated you, and I was unable to give you and show you the love that you deserved. There were times I should have been there for you, but I was so stuck in my selfishness and disease that I was blind and could not see. I never wanted, wanted you to think that you were crazy or unworthy to be cherished and better taken care of. I was the crazy one. I was the sick and suffering one. I was the drunk an alcoholic who did very selfish and dishonest things. I was not a good example of what love should be. I drank so much and lied all the time. You didn't deserve that. I'm truly sorry. I often think of how I wished I could have loved you better. I just didn't know how. I cannot take back the past, but I am here now, asking for your forgiveness as a mom, a woman, and a friend. I did not know how to be a mom, and even greater pain and disappointment still is that most times I am baffled and confused on how to give you what you need. But I am willing to learn if you are willing to teach me how to interact with you. I take full responsibility for my ugly actions, mom. And I gave him that letter, and we never spoke about the letter, ever. But everything changed. It certainly changed in me. Something happened to me after I wrote that letter. I got free. I got really free, and I was able just to be who I needed to be in front of my son. 
And uh, I could never do that prior to that. I had a lot of still guilt and shame. And um, about a year thereafter, Paul and I moved down to Florida. And soon thereafter, I invited my son and he came. And I speak with my son daily, regularly. He lives a stone's throw away from me. And he's such a, he's a fine young man. Um, I don't take any credit for that. We have nature and nurture. And uh, his own nature is just a beautiful, he's a beautiful person. And I'm so grateful to have a second chance in life. And, you know, we serve a God that is restorative. And um, I'm so grateful for that. So Paul, uh, I always call him Paul. Lucas and I, um, our relationship has been restored and um, replenished. There's a replenishing there. It's renewed. And, um, you know, this is, I think it's on page, I don't have the page number, page uh, 83. It says, um, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. And then the next line is, we must take the lead. But how many of you here, how many of you here know that God's in the construction business? Right? Yeah. Bill likes to use a lot of analogy with stones, right? Cornerstone, keystone, you know, and reconstruction. And we are building something here. It's a spiritual house that we can live in that's honorable enough for God to live in and to dwell in. You know, and when we invite God into our heart in that third step, understand that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So everything I see, anything that I'm watching, anything that I'm putting in my ear, in my mouth, God is experiencing that also. And, I, you know, I try to keep that awareness up front, you know, and there's no way that I can do that until I step into step 10, right? And that's the segue. You know, um, in the spiritual experience, um, page 567, it says that our whole attitude and outlook, the way I see the world is going to change, right? And... Um, a lot of people, you know, they think that I'm handicapped, and I'm really not. The only, the only thing that I'm handicapped with is my attitude. That's what's handicapped. That's the thing that needs the adjustment, right? And that's what the spiritual experience is all about, having this attitude adjustment. Um, it says that I'm going to have a complete alteration. And I love that word, alteration, because it's, it's one of my things that I plan on doing besides pottery is to start to make clothes again. And, you know, there's a whole process that has to happen. But sometimes you'll have a garment that doesn't fit you anymore. And you'll have to have it altered so that it can perform the way or it could be used for the thing that you want it to be used for. Right? And God does that with our souls. This alteration. And some things have to be snipped away and cut away so that it's rightly shaped um, so that we can perform well. Right? So it all lines up. Third step, seventh step, eleventh step. It's all in there, right? And, um, and I love that. So um, I know that I found shelter here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You guys were my North Star. I had no direction whatsoever. And, you know, just through the grace of God and finding the sponsor that I found, because she wasn't pushy. I don't do pushy that well. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm the girl that is... Um, running down the descending escalator at all times, right? I'm, not, I'm always going to go against the green. And uh, she, she knew exactly how to handle me. So I'm so grateful for the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous, the bag of seed that was left for us by our forefathers with all of the instructions. Doc always says, thank God they wrote it down, right? We would have loused it up. So step 10, 
I want to move right into step 10. And I did write some stuff down because it's a lot to pack in and there's some high points that I wanted to, you know, bring up. But step 10 is all about my thought process, right? And um, I cannot stop a bird from landing on my head, but I can absolutely stop it from building a nest, right? And that's what this is all about, watching my thought process. Did you ever think about what you're thinking about? Right? And I tell you, when I first started practicing this, because this is a practice and a discipline that you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? It was exhausting. I'm exhausting. This apparatus is like, woo. It's constantly creating, constantly. I mean, I have a creative mind as it is, but what it was producing was poo-poo, right? Yeah, it's confusion and all of that stuff. But I can control my mind with God's help, right? I, I have to arrest my mind instead of having it arrest me, right? And in the Bible, it tells, St. Paul tells us to arrest each thought, take it captive. And there's a reason for that, so that it doesn't take you captive, right? And so um, that's, that's what I set out to do. Um, these four absolutes are yardsticks. And in step six... All of those character defects, that catalog that we saw in the fourth step and talked about in the fifth step with my sponsor, we're supposed to be replacing them with these four absolutes. So the honesty, is it true or is it false? Right? We all know the difference between that. Um, the unselfishness, how will it affect my fellows? So I have to test. This is a test in my decision-making. This helps me to st- How am I showing up in life? This awareness this spiritual awareness that I have now been handed, actually, you know, and um, it's a responsibility, and I'm responsible. I can't, I don't get to blame other people, right? Oh, this one, you know, I'm hurt because this one. No, no one can hurt me unless I let them. It's my reaction to what they're saying, right? And God gives us power. There's power in the pause. That's in the 11th step. There's power in the pause because I have a silent partner, I'm no longer alone. That is one of the greatest gifts that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. That I have a silent partner. And he's portable. Did how many of you know that God does the dishes? While I'm washing my dishes, I'm talking to God. You know, it's in the ordinary. And it can be extraordinary if we tap into that. Right? And so, um, purity. Is it right or is it wrong? You know that from when you're three years old, the difference between right and wrong, right? This is the acid test. Love, is it ugly or is it beautiful? I think we all know that. We all know the difference between that. So this is our yardstick. I love that he has that up there. And we should be replacing our character defects with God's help with this. This is the yardstick, right? And um, at first, as I said, it can be... That's why the principle behind step 10 is perseverance. Because it takes a lot of, it's vigorous, vigorous action. This is a 12-step spiritual program of action. There's work to be done. Um, So, step 10 tells me to continue. Continue what? All of the other nine steps rolled up into one is step 10. Everything that I've been practicing with my sponsor, writing about, talking about, is now going to be in practical application. God will continue the work he started in me. And it will continue for a lifetime. 
I'm still a work in progress. These are all ideals, right? Um, So I relinquished my right to self. I did in the third step. I relinquished my right to self. This 10th step is preventive medicine. So it's not like I'm going to act out and then I'm going to write about it. Right? It's to hopefully you could, you're watching your thoughts. You can, you're testing it. Is it selfish or is it not? Is it beautiful or is it not? How is it going to affect the other guy? Right? So I'm going to give you some 10-step uh, experience. Um, so we're supposed to hopefully, with God's help, prevent acting on self. So I'll give you one where I was unable to because it just was, it happened and it, it just came at me and I acted. So um, uh, I was having a problem with my prosthetic. I worked in a high school for 18 years and the building was three stories high. It was elevated, which I never used because I could have probably ran up and down six times before I came. And, uh, but I needed to because I was on my crutches and I was already distraught and frustrated because of the pain that I was in and all of that. I was restless, irritable, and discontent by the time I got to the elevator. I got in the elevator, and one of my pet peeves is people, when you're coming out of the elevator, people that come in the elevator before they let you out. I just get crazy with that. That could just send me into a spin, right? And that happened. Doors open, and the guy that does the, uh, the, the vending machine, young boy, about 26, comes in with all the chips and everything, and I was about to get out. And he came in, and I said, excuse me, can you let me out of the elevator? And he backed out. I immediately got convicted in my spirit, like, oh, what did you do? And as soon as I had that feeling, Holy Spirit convicted me, I realized I was on the second floor and had to get back in the elevator with him. (laughs) Because I was on the third floor. And I said, young man, and I looked him in the eye, I said, I'm really sorry for speaking to you that way. He said, yo, mom, no problem. (laughs) And I felt good about that. I didn't have to have this emotional disturbance for the rest of the day. Right? So that's one instance where I was able to make the amends immediately. Um, There's time where um, I have a selfish thought and I want to act on it. My flesh wants what it wants. And um, so... I had a thought in the morning to do something at work that I wasn't supposed to do. And that was as soon as I was conscious, I thought about it. And it owned me until 1230. That's four hours. And I wanted to, punch, I wanted to leave work and not punch out. Uh, and just leave work and come back and then punch out when I'm supposed to punch out. That's stealing time. Everything's in operation. Selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear that I don't have enough time. I'm placing my coworkers in a position to have to lie for me, but that wasn't on the radar. But what I did was I got into work and I said, that will be done. Every 15 minutes I had to say that because I could have just easily walked out of the building. I, I was not, I had nobody watching over me and I escaped. I did not act out on my flesh. I was able to discipline myself with God, but it was literally hell for four hours because the thought kept coming back you can nobody's going to know because self wants to justify why i can 
but I didn't. So I, I'm so grateful for that. Um, and then there's another component to step 10 where, um, and I, I had to do a lot of this with my sister. Unfortunately, um, we never uh, had the, the right or the privilege to be sisters. We just didn't. Our family was uh, goofy, and we just didn't know how to do it. And even when we got into sobriety, um, it was uh, the first year was good. Uh, through the grace of God, I got my sister in. I, I, I temporarily sponsored her, and I was grateful. I hooked her up with the women's group and um, prayed with her each morning until she found herself a sponsor. But about a, about a year in, somewhere along the line, both of us just, we couldn't see eye to eye. And this dance went on for, I'm going to say, a good nine years, up and down. I'd be ready to forgive, and then she wasn't. And then she'd be ready, and then I wasn't. And it was just a lot of inventory. You know, I mean, one summer, I practically lost the whole summer thinking about how, I mean, self-pity, um, what's that, silent scorn, I'm not going to call her, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, that is a miserable place to be. Um, and I tried. I tried to pray it away. I couldn't get it away. And finally, um, a lot of years went by. And uh, when I got down to Florida, I started going to a Bible study. And I never knew that I could ask God for a new heart. I never knew that. And I really didn't want to have any bad thoughts. Because, you know, it's one thing when you first come in about um, getting rid of the glaring defects of character. You know, the things that people can see, the stealing, the cursing, the gossiping. People can see all of those things. But what's going on with my thought process? And what was going on with my thought process is I may as well take in my sister and crucified her. Just take the gun out and shoot her because my thoughts were terrible. I condemned her. There wasn't any way she could do right. If she did one thing, it still wasn't right. Or, you know, I'd see her name and I'd be, yeah, now she's calling, you know. And then, you know, a week later, why doesn't she ever call me? So she couldn't do right. You know, it was just all of that kind of stuff. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted, I prayed God that I could learn how to love better. That's my whole aim, that I could love better. I want to expand my capacity to love. That's why I'm here. That's my, that's what I want. That's my, um, my goal in life, right? And um, so I went to this Bible study. And I was sharing what was going on. And someone, we were making these like little uh, Play-Doh things. And I made an angel with a, new, uh, with a heart. And I asked for a new heart. And I sat it at my Bible. And I'm going to tell you in short order. Two weeks. Everything changed in here. Phone call. I see. I was like, oh, wow, she's calling. No, no th- I didn't let one sentence take root about, you know, all these years, uh, you know, I don't know. I would just come up with all kinds of poo-poo. Uh, just a whole big story. I was attached to the story. And it's unfair. It's just not fair. And I'm so grateful that God gave me a new heart. And I'm here to tell you that me and my sister, well, we, we love each other today. And we're really being sisters. It's um, a little when Paul got diagnosed so that was in March so from March until present day I'm actually going to have the privilege and opportunity to go down and help her uh, she's having a hip operation and I'm going to um, nurse her back to health and, and, I, and I want to do that from my heart and, and, and I feel swollen with love 
And, and only God can do that. But that's because I practice step 10. I don't allow negative thinking to take root, right? And so that's what it is. So when I have a negative thought, anything, whether it's if I have a thought to steal or if I have a thought to gossip, I ask God at once, please remove this. So there has to, I have a, remember, we have thought, feel, choice. That's how the mind works. Thought, feel, choice. So when I think something, I have, you know, we, this, this is golden. If you don't hear anything tonight, hear this. You cannot remove a thought. No human person can remove a thought, but you can replace one. And that's what God is. So while I'm on my way to have a negative thought, I invite God into that peace. And his penetrating, illuminating light and love, his Holy Spirit will dispel any darkness that I have. And the way the directions give me um, in the 10th step is, um, I did have it, but I don't now. So there are, let's see. Continue to watch. So I'm going to watch for what? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these things crop up, because they're going to. It's not an if. That's what, that's just the human condition, right? Um, So when they do. So if I hurt someone, um, I discuss that with someone immediately. Now, immediately, I could be at work. So I can't take time off from work and start calling people at work, right? So immediately can be immediately when I get home and I get into my, you know, lounging clothes or whatever. And I'll text my sponsor or my immediate person, somebody that's doing this deal. I have a 10-step. What time can you give me? Can you listen? If I need to write it out, I'll write it out, right? That kind of stuff. Um, So I'm turning away towards my negativity and my negative thoughts, and I'm turning towards God. We call that repentance. And it all began in step six, right? So again, step 10 is all the other ones rolled into one. Um, So, yeah, there's a, on page 13, I don't know if it's, well, common sense would thus become uncommon sense. And that's, you know, step 10 tells me that I have now entered the world of the spirit. What does that mean? The natural and the supernatural. I'm not operating in the natural, right? I live in the natural, but I'm operating in the supernatural, which means I have these spiritual antennas and I'm constantly communing with my father. That's wonderful news to someone like me. My earthly father and my earthly mother was unable to teach me and to love me. They just can't. They just didn't have it in them. But now I've been adopted. I'm no longer an orphan. I have a beautiful father and a beautiful mother, and I have access to them at any time. Step two promises tell me that I have gained access to and believe in a power greater than myself. All of this material that we see in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's living and breathing. They're not just words. I have swallowed them, digested them. They are in my marrow. This is what I live and breathe. I don't do it perfect. So this 10th step really animates my spirit, right? And it helps me to understand how I show up in life. I'm acutely aware of my shortcomings, right? And sometimes it's very distasteful. But 
I'm human. So we don't condemn ourselves. The, uh, I That's why we have erases, right? You make a mistake, you know? So I made a mistake. I learned from my mistakes. If you, you ask any person that is successful how they got there, they'll tell you by making a lot of mistakes. Hopefully you learn from them. So um, that's one of the things I've learned. I think I was 10 years sober because I almost went out over there because I suffered from perfectionism. This is coming from somebody with a, uh, a missing leg, right? So it's not good. I'm, you know, I'm never going to be perfect, but I am perfectly loved. And that's a beautiful thought. So step 11, God is always calling you to a deeper love. Always. I have a secret place that I go to, and I love it. It is my treasure. No one can have it. No one can be there. No one's given it to me. You have to find your own secret place. It is the most beautiful place ever, and it is when I acknowledge the presence of my Father, I go from here to here. And it's really unexplainable. It is... Uh, not tangible. Uh, I guess it would be something like the wind or breath. You can't see it, but you can absolutely feel the, uh, what it produces, right? So um, this 11th step. Well, one thing I wanted to share with you was a closet experience that I had. I don't know, me in these closets. I was in the closet yesterday. For the hurricane, I have a walk-in closet. I took my Bible and my puppy and some pillows. Kelly called me. She's like, it's right up the block from you. Right? So I was in there for a couple of hours. But um, anyway, so I, in, before I was delivered into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was drinking around the clock, and I had a, a walk-in closet and two bottles of vodka as boot trees. And I would crawl into that closet regularly. And then when I got sober, years go on, and I meet my husband. My husband was a tile layer. He did everything, electricity, everything. He was just brilliant. And he, we, bought, we built two houses from the ground up. And in my house in New York, I had a huge walk-in closet, which is where I put my makeup on, and I had the picture of the Virgin Mother in there, and I would do my rosary. It's one of the practices that I do. And I'd been sitting there. And I had revelation. I had just finished my rosary. And I opened my eyes and I saw my mother there. And I thought, oh my goodness. This is the transformation. I went from drinking in a walk-in closet to praying to my mother in a walk-in closet. And that is the transformation that, you know, money can't buy. Right? And, um, you know, I do most, I'm going to say 90% of my work is done on my knees. Prayer is not the least you can do. It's the most you can do, right? That's how my life is. Anything that's in my life is manifested through my prayer, right? Um, and so if you would ask me who my God is and what my God is, it is absolutely the Holy Spirit, but it's a knowing it's just a knowing. And that's where your joy comes from. That's where your security comes from. I don't have to fear. There's no lack in me. 
There's no lack. I have access to everything that my father has access to. All I have to do is ask if it's properly in proper order. Um, so what are the points that I wanted to make? Oh, I did want to give you the five disciplines, which is in the textbook. So the five disciplines in the textbook, I always wondered why they did the nightly review first as the discipline. I now understand. I mean, it's just my own understanding about it is that, you know, God wants to refresh me because my mind is still in operation while I'm sleeping. It's downloading everything that happened during the day. And God is in there in the mix, right? So in order for me to be able to fall asleep properly, I need to get a review of that day. And I'm here to tell you, the first time I started practicing this, I was lying the first six months. This is what we call, I want to be perfect. And I realized this is ridiculous. This is between me and God, right? So it wasn't like I was going to share it with anyone. And then I finally started getting honest. And um, it asks 10 questions, you know, and um, they're in the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and uh, it's not to see how bad I am. It's just to review the day and to construct, to build upon, right, the next day. And if there's anything that I've done that that I feel is um, offensive to my father, then I need to make that right. But once I've, uh, and I also write a letter to God. I do my nightly review and then I write a letter to God, right? And that, I used to think I had insomnia. It was just untreated alcoholism, right? So that, that piece of that um, discipline, what that helps me to do is to see where my character is still weak. And I don't ask my sponsor's forgiveness. I ask God for corrective measures, this whole walk is between me and God. Yes, I have a sponsor to shed light on a, maybe a different perspective or to be accountable. But ultimately, it's between me and God. And I do this out of love, not out of fear. I want to please my father. And in wanting to please him, that pleases him. Um, so we have the that. Um, then we have... Uh, Right underneath the five disciplines, it says, um, as soon as I'm conscious, right, before I begin the day, as soon as my eyelids open, even before my eyelids open, I'm going to ask God to divorce me from selfishness, self-seeking, and self-pity, right, to, to help me with my thought process, because I need a lot of help. I really do. And uh, that kind of, that sets the tone for the day. Right? So I'm still laying in my bed. I haven't even really... And as of late, since my husband passed, I now do my rosary. As soon as I sit up, I do my rosary in bed rather than going into on my rocking chair where I used to go. And that just sets me up for a really awesome day. Right? Um, it's just so beautiful. So that's one of my practices. And then there's another little uh, directive saying, saying many times each day that I will be done. How many times did you say that I will be done today? Because that is a directive. And it's usually, you know, I have a, a barometer as far as uh, not feeling right. Well, if, I, if something's off or like if there's a, a, a disturbance, like if I didn't like the way somebody said something, right? Thy will be done. You know, if, if it keeps eating my lunch, I ask God to remove it and I write about it. Together, 10 and 11 gives you an unshakable foundation. In the 12 and 12, it tells us that, right, uh, for this spiritual uh, life that we're building here. 
right? So um, we have that. Then it says, um, pause when agitated or doubtful, which is my favorite. That saved my bacon. I can't tell you how many times. There is power in the pause. And sometimes a pause is not like five minutes. A pause can sometimes be five days. We don't know how long the pause is, right? I'm waiting on God. You know, this patience that we talk about is the patience to wait on the Lord. Because, you know, patience in the supermarket and all that kind of stuff is fairly easy if you're doing this kind of stuff. You should be, your cup runneth over. You should be beaming with love and oozing with tolerance if you're doing this stuff, right? It's the waiting on the Lord for these answers that, you know, most of us want now, right? But it's not microwavable stuff, right? It's not like instant mashed potatoes. And God has perfect timing. He's impeccable. So pause when agitated or doubtful. And when I'm pausing, what am I doing in that pause? Well, I'm asking for something. I'm asking for inspiration. I'm asking for power. I'm asking for strength. And in my case, I ask for right thinking. Because I know this thing doesn't really. It goes off the rails. I always tell my girls I'm going on the F train, right? And don't think they're dirty. I mean the fear train, right? Because self-centered fear is the pilot light that shoots all the other jets of my character defects. The self-centered fear is the thing that, that gets them all going. If I feel rejected, not that anyone's even rejected me, but watch what Karina, how Karina behaves. I sense that I was rejected. Whew. All kinds of things going to come out. I'm going to start lying, pretending, embellishing. I don't gossip, but in here, not good. Right? So, yeah, so I'm asking for strength and power. And I'm also asking for knowledge. Knowledge of his will for me. Not my will. Not my small petty will because I'm petty my small self still lives in there she's a tyrant she throws tantrums regularly I always tell the girls pay no attention to the man behind the curtain so this 11th step my spiritual food and I have subsequently learned you know I always feel like I'm not equipped for this type of stuff. But I know that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. So I didn't really have to get too nervous about it. This is coming from a girl that did not like the sound of her voice. In my first, very first home group, my first two years... I never spoke one word. I was paralyzed with fear. I never shared. I listened to everyone. One of my home group members said, oh, at the end of the meeting, I, thought, I, didn't, I didn't think you could speak English. They thought I was Spanish. <laughs> I'd come late. I'd wait till everything was over, and then I'd make a beeline to my car. I never fellowshipped. I called it my home group, which is kind of loitering. Because I wasn't a group officer. 
I didn't know anything about the traditions. I wasn't in the work. But no, for me to even share, I used to hate when they were doing the 12 and 12. And it was, oh my God, I hope the time runs out. They're going to, I got to read on my, you know. And look what God has done with me. So I only have a little bit of time um, to share about step 12. You know, God is in the small thing every fine detail of your life. And the reason for that is that everything is small to God. I'm going to read something for the 12th step. Sponsors. Every sponsor is a leader. The stakes are about as big as they could be. A human life and usually the happiness of a whole family hang in the balance. What the sponsor does and says, how well he estimates the reaction of his prospect, how well he, t- he times and makes his presentation, how well he leads his prospect on by personal spiritual experience. These qualities of leadership can make all the difference, often the difference between life and death. We thank God that AA is blessed with so much leadership in all its affairs. My sponsor offers me self-forgetfulness and kinship with another, another human being of my own kind. This is one of the most intimate relationships that one can have. I just, I can't tell you how much I love the people that I get to work with. It's abiding. They're with me all the time. I pray for everyone here. I pray you were in my prayers. If I've met you, you're in my prayers. I love you, right? But this sponsorship, this, it keeps me in this emotional sobriety, right? And I get to be with these people. Um, you know, God, and I once heard, Paul heard this guy. I really thought he was, it was going to be bad. He, this guy shared from the podium, not everyone's meant to be a sponsor. That's, that's horrible language. Everyone should be sponsoring if you've gone through the 12 steps and had a spiritual awakening. You are uniquely qualified. God, I pray that the people that are here do service, right? So good leaders do not make followers. They make other leaders. And we're building a kingdom, right? So, you know, together, what I can't do alone, I can do together. There's many directives. I have about two minutes left. There's directives on how to approach a newcomer. It's in working with others, chapter seven. And they tell us what we should and shouldn't do. Um, so let me see, do I have any? No, I don't. Okay. So, uh, never criticize. That's a no, no. Um, you really just want to share your story, offer them friendship and fellowship. Make sure that you're satisfied that they're an alcoholic. There are a lot of people in AA that are not alcoholics and that's a very dangerous thing because they might pick up a sponsee and tell them just don't drink and go to meetings because they can. So help them find the, the, the program that they need. But be satisfied. There's two questions to ask them, which is on page 44. Can they entirely stop drinking for good and for all? And can they control the amount that they take once they put it in? They're probably alcoholic if they can't do that. So you really, And you want to help them to identify themselves as an alcoholic. Um, don't waste time on someone that's not ready to quit. And it's not to quit 
one day at a time is to quit for good and for all. We learn how to live a day at a time with God's help. Thank you so much for allowing me into your heart and into your life. I'm sorry I don't have more time to be with you. Um, I love you and I thank you for letting me share. Thank our speaker again. <laughs> Joey, is it possible to have a secretary's report? All right. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. I am Joey. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Joey. And it's a very possible guy. Um, all right. So. Um, before we dive in, I just want to say an extra special thank you to Karina um, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us for the last three sessions. And uh, we got some good stuff. We got uh, the first one is a collector's limited production first edition big book refrigerator magnet and limited edition coffee mug. So, kind of a big deal. You deserve it. Thank you. All right. Um, so, thank you so much. That was really awesome. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution, the baskets are going around. Also... If you're like me, you don't have any cash on you. Um, that's okay. We have a QR code in the back. Um, it goes right to our group's Venmo. Um, so feel free to give that way if you'd like. All right. Um, I've asked Kelly to read the recovered statement. Thank you, Kelly. Um, we read this to explain why many people in this group may identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. No one better do so than Kelly. Thank you. Recovered alcoholic named Kelly. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Kelly. Um, all right. 1940-style Big Book Sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. 
which is awesome. All right. Now, um, anyone here would need a sponsor? At this time, please stand. All right. That's okay. It's a good thing. It's okay if you do know. Um, now, any recovered alcoholics out there? Hey, yo. There we go. All right. Um, beautiful. So um, we have announcements. All right. Inner group um, is where you can go buy a literature, medallions, etc. cetera, uh, is where it's responsible for our, our where and when, scheduling a hotline, stop by and pay them a visit. ECIC is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize, uh, to organize these meetings at the 12-step house. Are there any BCIC people here? That's all right. They're at the 12-step house. So um, Wednesday night, study group is back in action. What? So... Is that Joe B? Anyway, um, you got to love Joe. Um, volunteer commitments. There's always, if you want to volunteer, AA is the place for you. Um, and we have flyers in the back as well. Um, Joe B, speaking of the devil, he's, well, he's lovely. He's not a devil, but you get it. Um, he's, uh, he'll be joining us um, starting next week. Joe, yeah, Joe Bear, Joe B. He knows he's a bear, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, six tables in the back. We're trying to do that and coordinate. Mike Chase is quite the operational guru. He'll, he'll help you out with that. Uh, Monday night, um, a great meeting. My, another one of my home groups, third floor. Um, we go through the book page by page. Um, we're finishing up working with others, and it's been awesome. And then we're getting into to the wives, et cetera. So it's a good time. All right. Um, in case you have forgotten, we do have CDs, mugs, large, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, see one of the home group members. We meet every Thursday, promptly at 7.15. Come early for some fellowship. Be courteous to to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. We have tonight's session and all past speakers podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. Uh, also, we want to invite you to our Monday night uh, 715 uh, big book study up on the third floor. And before we leave, I'd like to, uh, everybody to give Karina a, a very nice hand <laughs> for, for being with us through these last three weeks. And um, after the after the closing, you can meet meet her by lining up in the center aisle here and, and saying hi to her. Um, let's be seated and close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
So, so low, shining 